0: A better person than I knew I was. I hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. north. Pat so Critlow of Up North, north News is on Lake Minnesota. Kristen Lyerly and OBGYN is on the Fox River. And up on Lake Minocqua is Kirk Bangstead of the Minocqua Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Lord, Lord, Lord. Won't you
1: let me die happy, happy, happy? One, two, three. It's Wednesday, September 14th. Welcome to our, our special one-hour edition, which normally sounds big, but it's actually small. And my my great thanks to Luke Mathers for playing reruns in the first two hours here. Um, so thanks, buddy.
0: Happy to do it, man. When you tell me you're feeling a little under the weather, I'm like, uh, oh, you sure you even want
1: me to... Try to do one hour live. I
0: was like, we could do all replay. But I
1: had to because my friends are here. My friends are back. Say hi to Kirk Bankstead, everybody. <laughs> the prodigal son has returned. <laughs> and I would always get off my deathbed for oh. a visit from Doctor Kristen Lyerly. Oh. She she can't fix anything on me based on her specialty, but you know, so- she still she still will
2: cure you with charm. How are I'll you? I'll try. <laughs> So Pat, you texted us at like six thirty this morning saying, "Guys, I'm I'm pretty dead here. Guys, I don't know if I'm gonna be able the show." And then you, but you gave us the question: Should we still do the ten o'clock hour? I mean, what do you expect me to say? Well, uh, because yes! I've been gone for
1: like four or five weeks, so. I wanted to stop putting that off any longer. We got to get you back in the game here. So, and and you have a fantastic guest. And I really did not want uh, former U.S. Attorney Jim Santel to have to wait any longer. So we're going to be talking to him in just a minute as well. In the news this morning, Brewers beat the Cardinals 8-4, to slashing the Cardinals lead in the division to seven games. Keep hope alive. Also in the news, <laughs> Brett Favre is a bad guy. We'll talk about that at the end of the hour. Uh, Tim Michaels says he'll increase funding for local police, but if he and Republicans refuse to increase state funding for it, the money will come at someone else's expense. In other words, Tim Michaels is preparing to defund everything but the police and will probably end up defunding the police as well. Uh, Robin Voss is on Twitter fueling another election conspiracy. Uh, Derek Van Orden raising a lot of Illinois money in one of his latest fundraisers at Lake Geneva. There is going to be a new Marquette poll later today. We'll talk about that tomorrow with Joe Zapecki. Uh, we also hope to have State Treasurer Sarah Godlewski. We'll explain why she's had to uh, delay things a couple of times, but it's going to be a great announcement. And we won't have time to cover it today, but there is the threat of a national railroad strike or shutdown. And if you look at the issues involved in this, you will find what, what one labor organizer rightly called corporate terrorism in the way that they treat people and I'll admit a little bias from a dad who worked on the railroad for many years but the scheduling situation there is insane and the railroads won't even counter offer on this looking for ways to make the workers look bad and if this all comes to pass our supply chains uh, you thought they were bad before you ain't seen nothing yet but Kristen I want to turn to you uh, before we go to the break here Because we were told when Roe v. Wade was repealed that what Republicans wanted was instead of a national right, send it to the states. We'll have a checkerboard of 50 different state rules on abortions because that they said is what we should do is throw it to the states. And here's South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham now proposing a national abortion ban. How surprised are you at that?
3: Have you seen the name of this band, too? I'm doing this from memory, but I think it's called the Protecting Pain-Capable Unborn Children from Late-Term Abortion Act, which is every single piece of like misinformation and jargon that they could possibly throw together. It's entirely meaningless. It's It's just so very political. And you're right. This is uh, the opposite of what they said they were trying to accomplish when they repealed Roe.
1: The interesting thing is that there were plenty of Republicans, even Ron Johnson, who, you know, right away said, I don't know about this. And you could you could feel them all looking at Lindsey just, you know, doing that motion across their neck. Going, No, 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 Lindsey. Too soon. Too soon. We're not (laughs) supposed to do that till after the election. But he kind of gave away the game about how very hypocritical they were. And then. Uh, Chris, you were telling me about the, you know, the fetus that was found on a on a street in Milwaukee, right, earlier this week.
3: Yeah, this um, was reported. You know, probably
1: again, uh, I fear it's a sign of things to come.
3: Yeah, agreed. So uh, Fox out of Milwaukee reported that in some neighborhood, somebody had driven by and thrown a plastic bag out a window, and there was a fetus in the bag, and. Um, <laughs> You know, obviously this is disgusting and horrific, but this is what happens when people are desperate and they don't know where to turn and they're fearful. So I I wouldn't be surprised if we see this more in the future. What we really need to do is give people resources, make sure people have access to healthcare providers and information and full spectrum pregnancy management. But we're moving in the opposite direction, Pat.
1: Well, we are because we have uh, a legislative branch that is broken, and Kirk, with only 30 seconds and without actually introducing our guest, it's also about a judicial system that's broken. You want to tease that in just a few seconds, what we're going to talk about?
2: Yeah, I mean... We're going to talk about the uh, nationwide judicial system, all the Trump appointees that don't have much experience. Then we're going to turn it back into Wisconsin uh, because we can't uh, get our judicial system to protect women. uh, And we should have uh, way before Roe was overturned. So we'll talk more about that after the break. Yep,
1: protecting women and protecting a little thing we like to call democracy. So we have uh, that coming up with former US U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Wisconsin, Jim Santel. And uh, we'll talk to him for a little bit. And then we will uh, talk later in the hour, just the, the three of us about other some of the other news notes that I mentioned, and maybe talk about some home herbal remedies that I can try for the rest of the day. Thank you all for <laughs> your patience. We'll be back after this. You're up north. Kristen Lyerly and Kirk Bangstead bat with me again. The gang is back together for our Wednesday morning 10 a.m. visits. And uh, Kirk has uh, the introduction for this week's guest about uh, whatever the heck it is that's going on with our judicial system, Kirk
2: hey thanks pat and it's it is great to be back and to see you again it's been it's been about a month and uh and i've without you in my life pat i i, I become i become a, a wayward soul i'm an unmoored fellow so uh i i, I like you to anchor this this weekly uh this weekly thing anchors me and it actually gets me more attuned to Wisconsin politics and I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show now, once now again. if
1: we could just get y'all right here in the Lake Wasota studio for that sometime that would be
2: <laughs> goals. let's do it. to have goals let's do it all right so I want to introduce Jim Centel um, Jim reached out to me uh, a couple of you know, probably Jim, probably like six months ago, but uh, you know, I've been writing, doing a lot of activism and he, and he reached out to me and and he, he thanked me for what I was doing. And, and, um, and he said he had a lot of uh, similar thoughts and lo and behold, this guy's, Kind of a legend in Wisconsin. He's he served as the United States Attorney for the Eastern District District of Wisconsin from 2010 to 15. He graduated from Marquette University and then the University of Chicago Law School, which he must tell us his story of how he was not not present uh, at the beginning of the Federalist Society because he's not part of the Federalist Society, but he saw it being formed at the University of Chicago Law School. You got to tell that story later. Uh, he was, during the Iraq War, Santel served as the rule of law coordinator and as legal advisor at the United States Embassy in Baghdad. Welcome, Jim. We are honored to have you on the show today.
4: I'm so glad to be with you. It has been a, a while since we first connected. Delighted to be with you and with Pat and with Kristen, of course, with Luke as well. So thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our discussion this morning about all things and judges and things going on with justice in America.
2: Great. Well, so I just wanted to follow up. I mean, we wanted to set the stage. It's been about a week and a half since um, uh, a- Judge Aileen Cannon uh, ruled that uh, Trump needed a special, uh, Trump was able to get a special master, uh, you know, and kind of the for the first time ever. Uh, Kind of said a president, a, a president, of former president of the United States was uh, somehow uh, more special than any of anybody, anybody else in front of the law. But before that, I wanted to start with the positive. Uh, we've seen two different things happen in, in the United States uh, from our judicial system. Uh, last week, also, we had in New, in New Mexico County Commissioner Coy Griffin was barred from holding office because he broke his oath to the Constitution. Apart from Eileen Cannon in Florida, a Trump-appointed judge, State District Court Judge Francis Matthew, not a Trump judge, handed down this decision, and it said if you've been involved in an insurrection, you've broken your oath to the co- to the country, and you can no longer serve. And that he even went as so far as to say, even if you haven't even been convicted of being an insurrectionist, if you've been part of one, you can't serve. There is two completely different. Uh, decisions handed down in the last week and a half and i wanted to kind of get into that uh, because it's it looks and it appears that trump appointed federal judges may be uh, subverting the judicial system jim what do you what do you think about both of these both of these uh rulings in the last couple weeks
4: sure a lot to unpack there but I think you've got it right right in terms of describing what happened in both instances you've got two different judges who both profess to be people who are advancing promoting the rule of Coming to very different results and coming to those results based upon some misunderstandings, uh, misapprehensions, at least with respect to Judge, uh, uh, the judge in South Florida, um, about what her role and responsibility is. So let's talk first about the positive news, as you've described, uh, going out of, of New Mexico. This is uh, Francis Matthew. Uh, the predicate for this, of course, is that this Coy Griffin, who is this county commissioner, uh, previously convicted in a federal court in the District of Columbia. He is one of those 850 or so who the United States Department of Justice has prosecuted for their involvement in January 6th. And, and that's important because, um, at that time, a, a judge named Trevor McFadden, he's a district judge. He presided over a trial, a bench trial and found and found, uh, Mr. Griffin guilty. Um, of a misdemeanor count illegally entering a restricted area and acquitted him of another count related to disorderly conduct, sentenced to uh, Griffin to 14 days in prison. Now, why is that important? Well, that's important for at least a couple of reasons. One is it's based upon that, then, that Judge Matthew looks and says, well, gosh, we've already got a judicial determination of basically this violation of the federal law, And then he goes deeper, as you just said, Kirk, he goes beyond that and says, and what is this all about? And describes in his order, not simply the conviction, which provides a predicate for him doing, the judge doing what he did in New Mexico, but also provides a lot of description about what happened on that day and goes on to describe things that Griffin said about this is a battle, a war we cannot lose. He told a crowd, we've got to get our country back. And again, the New Mexico judge says, all of this together brings us to the 14th Amendment. And basically, as we all know, uh, says that if you have engaged in insurrectionist behavior and conduct, you cannot serve in public office. And so bringing all this together, this, I would say not brave, but appropriate judge in Mexico does what he should do and says you can no longer serve. Um, Huge importance because of the precedent that it sets. We know there have been a couple of other instances involving Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Madison Cawthorn, where there were like attempts to do this. Uh, For different reasons, those did not go forward. This is a situation where a judge, your good point, Kirk, um, said, I'm looking at the law. I'm looking at the facts. I'm looking at what you did and determining whether the people who passed the 14th Amendment intended this to be about you. And he comes to the conclusion, the answer is yes. If you engage in insurrection, you should not be holding a public office in any place in the United States including right here in New Mexico. Very significant ruling. And hopefully, hopefully gives some impetus to future judges who look at these things and say, you don't just need a federal conviction, which is helpful, you need a predicate to do this. And that's what the judge did.
2: So, Jim, I, I'm hearing what you're saying and it's making my heart just go pitter patter because I want to talk about our own lawsuit in Wisconsin. But I, I can't go there yet, uh, even though it just angers me so much. But we're going to go that do that in the next segment. Let's transfer back to Cannon. What happened with the uh, Aileen, Judge Aileen Cannon, Trump appointed judge. Um, give us give us some background. I mean, from not only Lawrence Tribe, Harvard Law School professor and Bill, you know, he's super, super progressive. Bill Barr, basically a a, a flunky for Trump before Trump tried to over, overturn the peaceful transition to power, similarly said that this ruling by Judge Cannon was not even based in any part of the law. On the right and on the left, legal minds are trashing this decision. What's going on here?
4: Yeah. yeah and I, I would, would join the left and the right here in saying they're exactly right. And the fact you've got people who are Maybe partisan in many ways, but nonetheless, taking a legal look at this and saying, not only is this indefensible, for what it's worth, it's a very badly written opinion, too. And that's not we're here this morning, but if, if you look to a federal district court judge or a federal appellate court judge, these are people who've got the time and the capacity, hopefully, to write an order that makes sense. That is not this. And that's what everyone's responding to. I, I begin by going back to the underlying search warrant that, again, was issued by a magistrate judge in a criminal proceeding, not by this district court judge, magistrate judge gets in front of him all this evidence before swearing an FBI agent to testify about the probable cause to believe that there's evidence of a crime at Mar-a-Lago in the house, in the residence, in the office. And he looks at that and he says, there's probable cause to believe that if you go in, you'll find evidence of a crime. And along the way, what he says, and it's embedded in the search warrant itself, it gets exactly to the point you're making, uh, Kirk, The last pages, the judge in authorizing that search says, here's the process. And this is a process that we follow in every single uh, other search in America. He says, if you get materials that are subject to a privilege, specifically attorney-client privilege, things that you've notes about communications between focus, perhaps the president, other people, and attorney, what you do is you send this to a privilege review team, sometimes called a filter team. They're not involved in the investigation. They will not be involved in it down the road. You pound five, 10, 15 people to look at all the documents and make a determination about whether or not those documents are subject to attorney-client privilege. Why do I say all that? I say that because that's the process that the federal district court in Southern Florida adopted. And that's the process that the U.S. Department of Justice followed in doing all this. And for what it's worth, According to Merrick Garland, that's the process that has now been completed as of at least a week or not more ago. They've done that already. And so not only is this, this uh, work by, by uh, Judge uh, Cannon uh, superfluous, it is, it is uh, frankly, it is rescinding what the judge or what the district court already said. So that, that just gets uh, I, I think it's sometimes lost in the media that this process was approved, the other process, the routine process that you and I would be subject to if we were the focus of a search warrant. That happens every day in America. Are we doing this very peculiar thing, having a a special master appointed, doing a secondary review in a situation where it does not need to be done, um, putting aside the the inadequacies of her order, her directives, and the the lack of predicates for it? Um, This is, this is, not only atypical, it is unprecedented in terms of of, 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 by a judge in the wake of a search warrant. Again, understand too, nobody's been been charged with anything yet. We're still in an investigation. And this notion too, the federal district courts are involved in crafting and and defining a federal investigation contrary to 230 years of history in America when it comes to investigative actions.
2: so. So, Jim, we've got about two minutes and we're going to get into this after the break. But um, I just wanted to start the path before we talk about it in in, in bigger detail of how did Cannon get appointed as a federal judge? Uh, apparently, she has very little court experience uh, and, and she doesn't quite have the bona fides that most of these federal judges have. What do you think? What what happened?
4: You know, a big piece of this, and I suspect we'll talk about this, is membership in the Federalist Society, right? Uh, We know in 2016, I pulled it up just anticipating the question. uh, This is candidate Donald Trump uh, during the 2016 election saying, we're going to have great judges, conservative judges, all picked by the Federalist Society. And in fact, um, we know in the wake of that, uh, of the judges, and, and there are about uh, 234 that Donald Trump appointed, appellate court judges, district court judges, something like 90% of them are are, are part of this Federalist Society. Uh, again, I'll tell you the story at some point about the genesis of that. But but that, that connection, I think, gets you on the list. And then you also plainly interview people, and you determine whether or not they're the kind of person you want to be a federal judge. Now, that process should be, for any president, here, you're not looking for someone who's got the intellect. You're not necessarily focused on their interest in the rule of law, being nonpartisan, applying the facts to the law, the law to the facts. You're looking for a mindset that says you will do the bidding of a federalist society, or have an- you're, you're out,
1: you're outsourcing. Oh, you're outsourcing, you're outsourcing, you're
4: outsourcing, you're outsourcing, and you're, you're and, outsourcing
1: and, 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 to yeah. a partisan entity, whether they call themselves partisan or not. It's clear. I mean, it's ideological, but it's partisan in what we have right now. We're going to continue this discussion with former U.S. Attorney Jim Santel uh, coming up in our next segment. You're up north. to let me die again do not adjust your radio somebody's just a little bit under the weather and it, it is just your classic man baby head cold that's gonna you know sideline me for the rest of today but I really wanted to be part of this discussion with uh, Jim Santel former U.S. attorney along with Kristen Larley and Kirk Bankstead and Kristen let's uh, turn to you to pick up the questioning
3: yeah so I'm just a doctor And as I'm listening to Jim talk, I'm just captivated by how complicated the situation is and how much is there. And I guess the question that I'm really struck with at this point is, tell me more about the Federalist Society. You keep hearing it pop up in media. So how did this all come about? And what is the counter on the other side ideologically?
4: Kristen, outstanding question. And there is history here. As Kurt sort of teased at the start of this, I was actually kind of in the room to use the Hamilton reference uh, when it was created. This is how old I am, 1982. I was a second year, maybe a third year at uh, the University of Chicago Law School. And my classmates actually uh, sent around some flyers saying, hey, we're starting this new group and we're going to be putting together some forums to talk about America, and we're going to talk about the way it should be, and we're going to talk about kind of taking it back and doing some things. And there are an awful lot of us who are kind of intrigued by this, but thought, I'm taking America back. I think we're okay. Again, this is in the middle of the Reagan era, also remember that. So there's some, uh, some dynamics there too. But my classmates actually were the ones on, uh, in Hyde Park in 1982 who created this. And it was initially, to their, their credit, was initially a, an attempt to try to to, uh, have discourse and public programs. This still happens to this day to advance, admittedly, a conservative view about what should happen in government, not just with judges, but about how things should go. And again, certainly inspired by the fact that Ronald Reagan was the president at that time. And so it had this academic flavor to it coming out of an academic institution. And what happened over the years and for what it's worth, I'd commend to everyone's attention a a wonderful statement made by Sheldon Whitehouse, who's a, a, a Senator from Rhode Island who took to the floor of the Senate and described all this history and how there are now three different uh, uh, federalist societies and describes how at some point then this morphed, this became something much more virulent to use that word, I think it's his word also, uh, about how we're now going to simply place judges in these positions of responsibility. Federal judges who again, as your listeners and certainly you, you know as well, they have lifetime tenure. And so for example, Eileen Cannon, 41 years old, she can remain there until the day that she dies. Uh, unless she resigns to something else. And so that will be 40, 50, 60 years, perhaps. Um, and that advocacy for putting conservative judges in these positions and changing, changing, as we have seen this past summer and previous years, the very laws un- under which we, we act and behave. That has become the focus of the Federalist Society. To answer the second portion of your question, there is an attempt somewhat belated uh, by the other side, if you will, called the American Constitution Society. It is out there and developed specifically to try to respond to this advocacy, um, not just uh, academic advocacy, but quite frankly, um, uh, acknowledging that that we've got people out there whose memberships will bring them to the attention of a president like President Trump, will get them on the bench and we'll go from there. So the American Constitution Society tried to do the opposite Um, I would offer with not quite the success and quite the name recognition that we have uh, with the Federalist Society.
2: All right. So, Jim, I mean, obviously, presidents should not be picking judges based on their uh, p- how partisan they are. Uh, the judicial system is the, 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 the one stop, should be the one stopgap for partisan behavior, and we should be able to rule on law. So the Federalist Society in and of itself uh, is should not be any indication of whether or not you should be appointed a ju- a, a life tenure as a judge. There's also something you told me about uh, when we were talking earlier, is that is that these judges appointed by Trump all they had was the Federal Society in their resume. Uh, can you talk about the, the Bar Association's kind of rating system and how judges like, uh, you know, Cannon uh, were really not qualified to become federal judges?
4: Absolutely. It's, it's an important thing because the American Bar Association, I will say up front, I'm a member of it. I pay dues. I'm not real active in it, but it you with all sorts of information about a national bar association. By its very nature, it is nonpartisan. It's apolitical. Should not be that. And what they do with respect to every federal judge nominee, by a president, is they rate them. They rate them not qualified, qualified, or highly qualified. And frankly, every single nominee, I think we all agree, by any president, we've got many, many lawyers out there, many other other state judges. Every nominee should be what highly qualified, right? These are terms of life. These are very important positions, district court, appellate court, certainly Supreme Court as well. Let me give you a few statistics here. Um, every single Obama nominee to the, uh, the court was highly qualified. Um, it, during the Trump presidency, nine of them, nine of them were unqualified, which is a D or an F. Uh, Judge Cannon was qualified, which is sort of like giving somebody, I think, a C plus, if you will. That is, okay, you've got a little bit of experience. You're a lawyer. Uh, She was an assistant US attorney for a while, but you do not have this breadth of experience that you should bring to a federal position. And so said, you're qualified. Um, We know during the Trump administration, again, unlike Clinton administration, unlike the the Obama administration, I'll listen to this. Remember uh, this fellow out of Western Kentucky, Justin Walker, Um, no trial experience at all. He gets on the district court in Western Kentucky And then is elevated later to the D.C. uh, Court of Appeals, the one that produces all these major cases. He is now sitting on the the second highest court in the land, never been in court. Uh, Sarah Pitlick, also Eastern Missouri, likewise, much in the news, never set foot in court, nominated by the president. And she is now presiding over cases, administering the evidence code, sentencing uh, people, engaging in, in civil litigation oversight it is shocking and the, it goes on and on like that. And so um, this, this notion that we, we, again, we've got plenty of wonderful people, um, frankly, on both sides of the political aisle who are great lawyers, who are wonderful attorneys, state court judges, others, magistrate judges who can be in these positions. Why don't we identify who those people are? And as, as, as Pat, as you said, as Kristen, as you said, um, these people should not be there because of their political credentials they should be there because of their academic, their experience, their academic background, movements as judges, as jurists, as lawyers, as practitioners who advance the rule of law. And with respect to some of them on the bench now for life, that is not the case.
2: All right. So, Jim, we don't I'd love to talk to you for hours about all this stuff, but we only have about eight minutes left. And I wanted to pivot to Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin is a. Uh, potentially one of the most damaged states in the union, uh, arguably we no longer have a democracy because we have a right wing Supreme court. Uh, we have a legislature who has gerrymandered, uh, most of Wisconsin so that, uh, even if there are more Democrats, there's, it's, there's almost a veto proof majority of Republicans in the legislature. We're a damaged state. Um, you mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this Griffin, uh, being kind of, uh, like the 14th amendment finally being applied in the right way to a guy who was part of the insurrection. Um, in in Wisconsin, we've had, you know, my super PAC sued Ron Johnson, Tom Tiffany, and Scott Fitzgerald for aiding and abetting the insurrection under the same, uh, amendment, the third article of the 14th amendment that, uh, and that lawsuit was dismissed, by the judge that was in your, uh, in your, uh, the Eastern district. I'd like to talk to you about, uh, do you think that was a a good ruling? And then, and then I'd like to follow up with a question on the, uh, the fraudulent electors in Wisconsin, because that's a huge white, a huge elephant in the room as well. Absolutely.
4: And so this is judge Lynn Adelman, who's been on the bench a long time. I appeared in front of him in in civil cases, criminal cases, and I will tell you that I respect him as a jurist. Um, is not a judge who I think should not be there. He is one who has been popular, written an awful lot of articles out there. And so I preface.
1: And, and if the name is familiar, he was a longtime former state legislator as well, Absolutely. Democratic legislator. Yeah. Absolutely. And and frankly, part of this is,
4: you know, it was also a good friend of Russ Feingold, a former senator, and it was Senator Feingold who nominated him to the bench, seeing him those qualities. And again, I appeared in front of him. He is a, a good judge. That is not to say, and it's a wonderful thing about America, including being a lawyer, being a part of the state bar. I can answer your question and be critical of judges, and I will be here. And I, again, it's with respect uh, that I say that as I read through uh, Judge uh, Edelman's very lengthy and, and very thoughtful opinion, I he goes through all kinds of things. We could spend hours parsing through this concept of standing, which is basically what he's, he's focused on and, and identifies five, six different things under the declaratory Judgment Act that are problematic with the lawsuit that you brought. His words, not mine, Kirk. Um, but I, I will say this about, about the opinion. Think about standing. What is, what is it? Um, if, if Kristen's dog comes into my property and destroys my garden, um, I've got a cause of action against her, right? I've been harmed by that. But Pat would, could probably not bring that lawsuit, right? He lives in a different place. He doesn't have, have a, 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 frankly, a, a, some skin in the game, as they sometimes say. He doesn't have a basis for doing that. That's standing. I've suffered some harm. Here, what in the end, in the end, when you pull everything back, all the legal niceties back, which has said to you and to all of us, is that in this particular case, the, the plaintiffs who you put together, including the principal plaintiff, uh, uh, Nancy Stencil here, don't have standing to do this. They don't have standing to come in and object uh, to the fact that we've got these folks who plainly were, from my perspective, involved in the January 6th matter. You don't have a standing to do that. I would ask out loud if if, that, again, it's not the dog chewing up your your garden situation, but you can make the argument that certainly everyone has standing,
1: right? That was my point when we had Nancy Stencil on. I, I don't know who else would be better for this other than, say, the Wisconsin Elections Commission itself.
4: Exactly, right? You know, precisely. And so you've got people who are in doing this very work. Um, they've got a claim to make. And I would, I would even expand that even further, Pat and Kirk and, and, and Kristen, to say, frankly, all of us, right? We have a right to representation by elected people, uh, the, the House of Representatives, the Senate, who are going to advance once again the rule of law, going to take their positions seriously. They can be partisan, sure. That's part of Congress, unlike judges. Uh, but we've got a right to do that. And we also have a right under the 14th Amendment. We all own the 14th Amendment, right? And that 14th Amendment says if you're involved in that, you cannot be. You cannot be involved in government. I think that gives all of us standing, including these plaintiffs you put together, Kirk, um, that, that prompt me to be critical of this opinion um, and offer that, again, I, I could, with like, nowhere near the scholar that Let me just
2: cut in. If any judge, in Wisconsin had the opportunity to change the course of American, uh, of, of what's happened to America and the the erosion of our demo- democratic institutions. It could have been Judge Edelman at this time. I think he missed an opportunity to really set us back on the right track. And it's, it, it really, I mean, I still lose sleep over it. Tell you. This. And I'll
4: just say this, and you, it was exactly what I was going to, to comment about, which is um, not to say that the law is completely um, malleable, depending on who you get, but I could very easily write an opinion that finds standing here for those folks. And uh, judges do that all the time. It's one of those things that's not hard and fast. It's not a federal criminal code issue, a civil code issue. It's it's an assessment of what your claim is all about. And I think there are an awful lot of judges, again, Judge Edelman, much brighter, much more experienced than I will ever be. Um, you could have written that opinion and got to the merits of this case, um, just like the um, the New Mexico judge did down the road.
2: So- Last, we've got a little bit of time. We can't get into the uh, fraudulent electors, but but Jim, what do you think of the Wisconsin judicial system? What needs to happen? You got about a minute and a half in order to uh, shore up Wisconsin democracy.
4: Sure, we've got some great circuit court judges in Wisconsin. We benefit from the fact that, although they're unknown and then they do stand for election, we've got some very good people out there. We've also got some people who probably by their own, by other judges will tell me the same thing, should not be there. Let's talk about the the Supreme Court. Uh, We've got an election coming up. Vote, 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 right? And whatever your your view is on this, take a look at who the candidates are. We've got at least, uh, by my count, uh, three right now, perhaps more than that coming um, with recent announcements here. Um, This is critical, Um, not only because it's going to change the balance, if you will, depending upon who is elected, it changes the law in the state of Wisconsin. And however you view uh, things that have happened with elections in the past and with voting opportunities. Um, This is your chance. If you do not vote, if you do not vote on that spring election for the Supreme Court justice, you have no right to complain about what happens in Wisconsin. And again, look at all the candidates, including one out of Dane County, one out of Milwaukee County Circuit Court judges, and then a former uh, Supreme Court justice also now announcing he is going to run as well. Um, right. We should so have debates there, about all that. And be so there are three candidates so far,
1: two progressives, and then a conservative former justice, uh, Dan Kelly, who's trying to run to get back a seat on the court. He lost his seat uh, to Jill Karofsky. He was a Scott Walker appointee. I, I, I cannot tell you again how much I appreciate your time here. Jim, thanks so much. Looking forward to doing it again soon.
4: We'll do it soon, Pat and and Kirk and, and Kristen and Luke. Thank you
1: for, being, for inviting me to be with you. I'll be delighted to right. come We will be back to wrap up our hour after this. You're up north. Jim had so much information, Luke, that he, he didn't even have time to plug his own show. So how about if you do it for him?
0: Yeah, so as part of the civic media empire, like we discussed yesterday on the show, uh, we're we're growing not only great stations, but excellent local programming as well. And so if you want to hear more legal analysis from Jim Santel, you can tune in on in Waukesha, on the Shaw, and in Madison on Devil Radio, Saturday mornings from 9 to 11 a.m. You have Morning Cannolis with Jim Santel, so you can listen to Jim. Uh, he has guests on discussing the same... Similar legal matters and, and just getting into a whole lot of detail, as you, you can tell, uh, Jim can talk about it. So yes, he can. Yes, he
1: can. The uh, for those of you listening on Bull Falls Radio in Wausau, the, the best way to go about this right now is um, the Madison station is called Devil Radio for the Devil's Advocates radio show. The Devil Radio app. It gives you the chance to pick these various stations, not just the the Madison one, but the Waukesha one, Wausau and others and listen to them live. So look for the um, the devil radio app and uh, give give us all a listen.
2: So, Pat, I, I, I'm really we have only I have a minute left. I'm really excited that all these stations are opening up all over Wisconsin. I can't wait to see more pop up in western Wisconsin, uh, Hayward, Amory. um it's important to me because we've been so underrepresented in terms of uh, um, in terms of progressive viewpoints in our part of the state for so long, and I think that's a reason why uh, Northern Wisconsin has become so red. So I'm just so so happy that this is happening and that you're on the air uh, all the time now in places that have been like radio deserts for such a long time. And well,
3: you. Not- Not just on the air, but on the air saying truthful things and sharing information instead of spouting lies and just trying to like rile people up. The stuff you're doing is really meaningful and impactful. Well, thank
1: you, guys. Gosh, it made it (laughs) worth getting out of bed just just for this. For at least a little while. Um, and we still have the uh, the newsletter as well. The, the newsletter duties, I'm actually going to start uh, handing more of those to our associate editor, Christina Laurie, so that I can focus more on the radio show, get more interviews. And then that creates a story that I'll put in the newsletter along with something more like a daily editorial or column. Uh, you remember Paul Harvey? <laughs> Maybe Aww. a little news and comment in there and uh, Christina will help with uh, assembling the rest of it. So, no, this is, and, and again, Kirk, if you hadn't thought to start the uh, the original Wednesday night show, it, it is just that reminder that, yes, this is all reactive to, say, the Federalist Society and right-wing talk radio and, you know, right-wing cable news and, and everything else, uh, and, Kristen, obviously, the, you know, the anti-choice movement in, in reproductive health. It is all reactive, but after years of saying... When's somebody going to react to this? At least it's finally happening. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we shouldn't have to do this. Uh, Radio and news shouldn't be a rage machine, which is what it's turned into on the right. Uh, It should be truth. It should be reasoned. It should be not angry, but but. But but full of tid- full of facts. And so uh, I think this is what we're doing. Obviously we lean one way, but we're not a rage machine here. We're not trying to get people riled up with with false with false information.
1: No, because the whole point is if we can get folks to recognize what is untruthful or what is corrupt, we can get back to what we all want to do, which is have a civil debate on things.
3: I have a question. yes, ma'am. You know what I think would be wonderful? I think it would be fantastic. We have just briefly talked about this a long time ago, but to have some engagement with our audience, like, wouldn't it be fun to have listener questions and to be able to like interact a little bit, hear what they're saying, I, respond to hey, that. Let's do that. Guys,
1: guys, I think, I think we have found the, the last remaining person who has never read the comment section on social media. <laughs> this is
0: this is really something, something better than a comment i mean
1: song. you want to watch her innocence lost let's let's show her some of those oh my let God. me read you some of the emails i get regularly one 5 we will take your calls are we are we are we back is, is the phone line ready and to rock and roll ready to
2: go you call okay.
3: yes we i love could totally
2: it. we can totally take calls i think pat well, can take. I mean, he pats on three hours a week, uh, three hours a day every week. I'm sure he's gonna take calls. I mean, I like, like, like we got four people on the con. We got five people on the conversation already during this hour. It might be tough to to grab extra calls, but uh I understand what you're saying. I also. No, Luke, Luke, uh, give the give the phone number again. Give, and give it again. Let's week, take we'll a call. What the, the heck? Seven one five three
1: eight eight seven one five five. You see how he put a 715 at, at both ends of the number there? Fives in there, yeah. Clever. Clever, so, man. Um, oh I had God. a rant all set to go for this morning. I'm going to save it for tomorrow morning, uh, hopefully, if I'm uh, back in the saddle here. But I, I will just say, and I teased it at the top of the hour, Brett Favre, bad, bad man. Uh, you're, you're You're stealing. Whether you knew how much was involved or not, you were part of a fraudulent scheme that siphoned money off, money from you and me, everybody, federal taxpayers. These were federal dollars that were supposed to go to needy families in the state of Mississippi. And the governor was in on a scheme to not send that money to the poor, the needy. Um, And look, we're, we're talking about a state where Jackson, Mississippi, they won't fix the water supply there. So we're already talking about a state that we knew was bad and corrupt to begin with. So I suppose it's not the world's biggest surprise that you know, Brett Favre thought, well, maybe I can get in on this action. He wanted to build a multi-million-dollar sports facility for the volleyball team at the college where his daughter was attending. And the the reason we're bringing it up now, you've probably heard it in you know in the past, kind of you know referenced, but nothing was really firm. But uh, Mississippi Today, a big news site down there, has been investigating this, and they have uncovered never-before-seen text messages involving the former governor, Phil Bryant, and Brett Favre, and a go-between. And, the, the you know, Mississippi Today asked Brett Favre, uh, you, you know, back in 2020, that's how far this story's been going on in Mississippi. They asked, you know, have you ever been, uh, have you ever discussed the volleyball project with the governor? Favre said simply, no. Not knowing that the natural follow-up should have been, are you using an intermediary to communicate with the governor? Just like the quarterback that came after him, you know, play tried to be cute with the question of, you know, are you vaccinated? And he's like, I'm immunized. So look, we're, I I'm, I'm happy for their accomplishments on the field, but you know, this is, this, this is a rough one right now to hear this about, you know, one of our, one of our former sports heroes.
3: When is he going to learn that text messaging is maybe not his greatest way of communicating with people.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was, he did get in <laughs> trouble with text messages before, didn't
2: he? I mean, come on. Uh, yeah. Just, I mean, uh, I mean, let's, let's, let's talk about sports heroes get weighing into weighing into politics. It's happened on both sides. We, 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 oh, Many, yeah, of, we, many we of them, are kneeling. Into what many of them are kneeling. many of them are kneeling with Seven. the, uh, of uh, national anthem and yep. guys like guys like Rogers are talking to Joe Rogan and saying, uh, you know, I the, know, the, you know, anti-vax kind of stuff. It's a uh,
3: that's a not, whole that's other show. They can't
1: have opinions, but boy, <laughs> that's a yeah, whole
3: other show. Kirk.
1: Stealing, stealing, stealing from the poor. That's a whole different thing. Thanks, you guys. Mm-hmm. Have a great day. Thanks for putting up with me. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Bye now. <laughs>